This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. One of the world's favorite car models is celebrating a milestone, and we'll tell you all about it. And we have a warning for those of you who charge your electric vehicles at home. You'll want to hear about that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. We're happy to be joining you again on the SportsMap Radio Network. Chris, how are you doing? Doing well, Jack. Enjoying the last, literally the last two or three days of summer before the kids go to school. So uh, things are quite exciting around here. How about you? Yeah, it sounds like they are exciting in Maine. Maybe a little less exciting in Southern California. Kids are back in school here, and it's uh, crazy walking the dog these days. But, uh, of course, we traveled extensively. I just got back from Napa driving the all-new Infiniti QX60. So... We travel quite a bit uh, as we test cars for you. This week, we have a, a really great guest for you, too. Our special guest is Trevor Lai. He is product planner for Hyundai. He'll tell us all about the exciting new Hyundai Santa Cruz sports adventure vehicle. Chris, you had a chance to experience the Santa Cruz, too, didn't you? I did. It was uh, quite an enjoyable trip. Absolutely. So that was out. Uh, well, we were close to Santa Cruz. We actually just kind of touched Santa Cruz, California, a surfing spot, a uh, place known for its uh, university as well. One of the branches of the University of California is at Santa Cruz. And uh, I think if you want to have a good time, that's probably a, a good place to go to school. I agree. Every time I go there, I never want to leave. So uh, I'm eternally jealous of people that get to live in that part of the country. Yeah, well, you're uh, welcome to come to California. Uh, you know, A lot of people are leaving, so there's probably some vacancies uh, for you. In the road test segment, Chris, you'll be taking a look at, tell us what, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm taking a look at the uh, the new 2021 Polaris Slingshot. Wow. Polaris slingshot. A lot of people are, are scratching their heads going, well, what even is that thing? Uh, but you'll take a look at that. I will give my review of the Lexus RX 450 midsize SUV. It's a hybrid SUV and uh, essentially the 800-pound gorilla in that segment. So uh, we will have that for you. Before we do that, though, we'll have some latest news. So stay with us for that. That's our next segment coming up. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack D. Red with you, and it is news time here on America on the Road. And what a story we have for you here. Uh, if you're an electric vehicle owner, and not that many people are, maybe 2% of new cars are electric vehicles these days, but uh, still a lot of people are buying electric vehicles more and more, and a lot of people are charging their vehicles at home, well, we have a little bit of a warning for you. This comes from our friends at Mercury Insurance. And they note that uh, if you are charging at home, you should pay attention to how that's being done. And if you are looking to install a uh, high voltage, a 240 volt power outlet, or you are hardwiring a charging station, that should be done by a local electrician who is <laughs> really well trained because uh, there are big problems. The battery packs can overheat, and sometimes they will not only burn up the car, but burn down your garage and your house. So 
that's something you really need to pay attention to. We've talked a bit about uh, vehicle charging at home, and that's an advantage of EVs. But what do you think about that, Chris? I think it's pretty scary. You know, I don't know how common that will actually be, but uh, the recall that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes actually gives some uh, credibility to that. So I will say that having a professional do it, you may be eligible for uh, rebates and things like that. So there's really no reason not to have somebody who knows what they're doing uh, do the work for you. Absolutely true. Mercury Insurance recommends that EV owners who plan to charge at home, which you should probably plan to do, carry comprehensive auto insurance coverage. Uh, Damage to the home might be covered. The charger itself may not be covered uh, unless you specifically add it to your policy. Standard homeowners insurance policies exclude coverage related to motor vehicles. So got to watch out for that. You've got to cover yourself somehow. And hardwired charging stations are usually considered part of your dwelling. That way, the station would likely be covered by your homeowner's policy, not your car policy. So it's something to pay attention to. A lot of people don't have the advantage of having a garage where they can wire things up and and set this up. But uh, if you can, do it the right way and then make sure you have the proper insurance coverage. I guess that's the takeaway. (laughs) Absolutely. And you have a related story, don't you, Chris? I do. And I mentioned this just a moment ago. Uh, General Motors uh, Chevrolet has recalled the Chevy Bolt. So this is the third recall for the Bolt uh, in the past, I don't know, six months or so. Uh, The latest round is another 73,000 vehicles made from 2019 to 2022. uh, And that brings the total to uh, almost 142,000 cars. Uh, Over 100,000 of those have been sold in the United States. For General Motors, though, uh, this is going to cost them almost a billion dollars. And it's related to battery fires. So LG is the maker of the batteries. Uh, They've identified a couple of defects that could be uh, present, although very rare. uh, And they could cause the battery to overheat and cause a fire while it's charging. So we just talked about charging at home. uh, And these are are fires. I think there have only been a few, but uh, still something to think about. And they're saying uh, in order to avoid these fires, they don't want you to charge your battery past, I think, 90%. Nor should you uh, deplete the battery below Uh, I think it's, you know, 20% or so. So uh, they're going to start issuing a fix in the next couple of months. But in the meantime, uh, you know, pretty scary stuff. Yeah, and they are recommending, uh, and I think a lot of experts are recommending, that you don't charge your vehicle in your garage, uh, that you (laughs) charge outside as well. I guess then if it catches fire, at least your house doesn't catch fire as well. But, uh, you know, think of the inconvenience of that. A lot of people have set themselves up that they... Uh, can charge uh, within the garage, and maybe that's the only place they can charge without uh, rewiring everything. Uh, it's It seems like a, a major problem, a major setback uh, when you have these kind of issues coming up uh, for a new technology that's trying to gain acceptance. I agree. And, you know, to your point, people like myself, we have a, a garage and a barn that we're going to put a charger in. They are saying if you have to charge in the garage to do so while you're awake and not away from the house or in bed or anything, and then pull the car outside of the garage in case something does happen. So um, more to come on that, I'm sure, but the, they, well, they've got a lot of batteries to replace. Yeah, <laughs> wow, <laughs> just a, a big problem. Well, here's something that's big, but it's not a problem. It is the 50 millionth Toyota Corolla. That is a major milestone. Uh, this is not just uh, for Toyota history, but of course for automotive history. 
The Corolla is in its 12th generation. It's been in production for more than 55 years, and they're making so many Corollas, they didn't exactly know when they built the, the 50 millionth one, because they're commemorating it now in late August, and it actually happened in July. I think that's kind of interesting, but how do you feel about uh, the Corolla? I know you like boring cars. Chris, so. <laughs> Give me a break. Give me a break. No, I like the Corolla, and you probably knew that already, but not because it's an exciting car or because of you know any of that stuff. I think they've done a really good job with the styling lately, uh, and it still fits the niche. Uh, it's still affordable. It still gets great fuel economy, still has great features. And if you go back to the, what is it, 1966 when they made the first one, uh, those things were present then, and that's the reason why it became so popular, and they've sold so many of the darn things is because they don't stop running and they get great fuel economy. So they've stuck to the formula and I appreciate that. Yeah, they started in uh, 66 uh, building the Corolla. That was in Japan. It came to the United States in the spring of 1968. And it uh, here's, a, here's a blast from the past. This is what the starting price was. $1,700. $1,700 for a brand new, spanking new uh, Toyota Corolla. At the same time, to put that in perspective, gas gasoline cost 35 cents a gallon, and the median household income was $7,700. So <laughs> you have that going for you. You can see that, well, inflation has set in since then, and 12 generations have come and gone. I think the Corolla now is uh, actually a very, very good car, and I joke about it being boring, but I don't think the current one is all that boring. And uh, things like the Corolla Hybrid, uh, I think... It's a, a really very good, very good choice out there. Yeah, you know, it's easy to poke at Toyota for making rolling appliances, but, you know, you look at the Corolla, the Camry, and even the Avalon, which is, is leaving us after this year, uh, they're pretty sharp these days. Right. It, uh, the uh, Corolla didn't really hit the ground running. In fact, it, it didn't sell all that well initially. And then came the Arab oil embargo of 1973-74, uh, and that really um, lit a fire under vehicles that, well... <laughs> harking back to our pre previous uh, story in the segment. It, it didn't really literally set a fire under these vehicles, but they uh, did go great guns uh, as soon as oil prices shot up and people wanted high fuel economy vehicles. That was a, a real shot in the arm for all the uh, small Japanese cars at that time and certainly for the uh, Toyota Corolla. Absolutely. And uh, here's an interesting story. I, I think this is fascinating and I, I'm really curious about your take on this, Chris. The Geneva International Motor Show is a show that I have always enjoyed attending. It's a, it's a great one. It's kind of an ecumenical motor show because uh, Switzerland doesn't have its own auto industry. So the auto industries of all the countries kind of are on equal footing at the Geneva show. And uh, sadly, the most recent Geneva shows have been canceled. Now there's a, a move to revive it, but not sadly, <laughs> very sad for me, not in Geneva. Instead, uh, it's going to the Middle East and it will uh, be in Qatar. Uh, in Doha, uh, at the Doha Exhibition and Convention Center, and that will take place uh, in 2023. I'm, how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I think if I speculate uh, from a business standpoint, I think it probably makes a lot of sense given the amount of money and the number of people that are in the Middle East and even in Asia, which is more, it's closer from a travel perspective. So, uh, you know, I hope that eventually the Geneva show itself comes back in the form that we, we knew before, although I haven't been able to attend yet. 
but I think, you know, from a business perspective, this probably makes sense for them, uh, you know, given the expenses that it takes to pull off one of these shows and for the automakers to attend. You know, they want to get their product in front of the people who are going to be able to buy it. Yeah. I mean, just jetting off to the Middle East to attend a motor show. Well, I guess it's not all that different from jetting off to Europe. You just, you know, get off at a different airport and uh, go to hotels that are international and uh, do that thing. It's It's kind of amazing how uh, standardized so much of this is. Well, when we come back, it will be road test time. And what a wild one Chris has, the Polaris Slingshot. I will be talking about a much more mainstream vehicle, the Lexus RX 450H. So stay with us for that. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. It is road test time, and we're excited uh, for these road test vehicles. And Chris, you're going to tell us about a vehicle that a lot of people uh, probably haven't even heard of, a lot less uh, know about. Uh, so tell us all about the Polaris Slingshot. Yeah, man, what a what an interesting vehicle the Slingshot is. So Polaris is a company, they make uh, sort of ATVs or UTVs, if you've seen the, the side-by-sides or the four-seater sort of off-road carts uh, and the slingshot is a three wheel and i think the best way that i can describe it is kind of like a motorcycle car uh, i guess if you want to think about it that way and depending on where you live you could be in for uh the same laws as a motorcycle rider so you may need to wear a helmet you may have to have a license i'm not sure where those states are so you have to take a look at that but up until 2020 the polaris slingshot was powered by the same engine that came in the chevy cruise but as that car went uh the way to the wayside polaris developed its own engine so for 2021 it's got a two liter four cylinder with it makes 203 horsepower and 144 pound feet of torque And Polaris told me when they reached out to see if I wanted to review it that the biggest thing that they heard from their drivers is that they didn't didn't want the manual transmission anymore. They wanted uh, an automatic transmission option. So they've given this vehicle uh, an automated manual transmission. It's five speeds. It will shift by itself, but it will not shift unless you want to use the paddles uh, when it's in the sport mode. Uh, But just a really interesting drive. Jack, have you ever been inside a slingshot? I don't believe I have, except perhaps at a motor show uh, and then sitting inside it as opposed to driving it, which is quite a different thing, isn't it? It is. And it's a really, really interesting ride, as I say. So it's a a two-seater vehicle. And the the one that I'm testing, I still have it right now, actually, but uh, I'm testing the R model, which is kind of a higher, sportier trim level, if you want to call it that. Uh, as I said, it's got the 203 horsepower, four-cylinder engine, two seats. It has Apple CarPlay and a 100-watt Rockford uh, Fosgate stereo system. So there are some creature comforts. It also has cruise control. Uh, but when you sit in this thing, and I'm wearing a full-face helmet, uh, not right now, but when I drive it, uh, wearing a full-face helmet, um, it is a really sort of visceral experience. You are sitting in a, a an open vehicle with two seats. You're sitting just a few inches off of the road. Um, you have 18-inch wheels in front of you and one 20-inch wheel behind you which is the drive wheel um kind of sort of a plastic steering wheel everything is weatherproof so it's made weatherproofed excuse me it's made to be uh driven and stored outside uh and it's a really sort of buzzy loud rough experience kind of like you would get on a motorcycle so as i say that's that's kind of the experience that they're going for here um it's pretty pretty quick and so the the automated manual transmission is not like an automatic transmission it's not going to shift smoothly it doesn't uh doesn't respond as quickly as like a six-speed or an eight-speed automatic and the crossover that you have sitting in your driveway Uh, but when you flip it over into sport mode and you use the paddles uh it's pretty responsive it feels engaging uh, the steering is pretty direct. Uh, the wheels are large, though, so it kind of. I wish they were a little bit smaller, so you kind of get a better feel uh, through the 
steering wheel. Uh, and the ride is rough. So, like I said, you're sitting right over the ground uh, in this really crazy shaped vehicle. It's kind of a, an unnerving feeling at first, but once you get used to it, um, it's really uh, like a go-kart that you're going, you know, 40 or 50 miles an hour in. <laughs> right. I, I'm wondering, Chris, about handling. Uh, you know, I've driven a few three-wheeled vehicles, and typically with three wheels, I mean, Three is kind of a stable kind of thing, like a, a, three, a three-legged stool is more stable than a four-legged stool in a lot of ways. But it certainly is a different kind of thing, and you have to have the, the track up front has to be very, very wide, I think. Uh, that's been my experience. And so the, the handling is a little bit funky. What, what did you experience? I agree it is funky, and they've done that just like you said. The track is very wide up front, and the vehicle is very low. So I think they've accomplished that sort of tripod stability in that way. Uh, but there is some tracking. The wheels, are, like I said, they're very wide and they're 18 inches in the front. They kind of track with the cracks and the, the broken pavement. Uh, it's a very interesting sensation. I'm not brave enough to push it. I know that they issue these things and people take them out on racetracks and they go uh, to the tail of a dragon in Tennessee and North Carolina and they just push them really hard. I don't think I have the the guts, I guess I'll say, to do that um, just because there's not the fourth wheel behind me. And if for some reason that that messes with my my perception of what is possible. Uh, but as you say, you know, they've, they've done just that. They've pushed the front wheels out as far as possible. Um, and as a result, it really feels like you're kind of riding on this, this giant platform down the road. Um, but you know, there's two cylinder engine or sorry, two liter four cylinder engine in front um, and the exhaust comes right out the back there. So it's, it's very loud. It's a very buzzy and vibrated vibration filled experience. But I think if that is your, your thing uh, that could be, you know, very fun for you. It's a quick little, a quick little runabout. Uh, I think for me, especially in the color that this thing is, this is a bright, uh, I forget the name they call it, but it's the brightest green color I've ever seen on any vehicle in my life. Um, I think for me, it's a little too loud from a visual standpoint. I think everybody on the road sees you. If that's something you like, then go for it. But for me, I'd rather kind of blend in a little bit more, especially if I were going to do something like drive quickly, which, you know, you're going to draw the, the attention of everybody, including law enforcement in this thing. So um, I think for the price, you know, this one is just shy of $40,000 loaded up. Uh, I would probably go for a motorcycle, which would be cheaper and uh, probably a little bit more fun. But for someone who can't ride a motorcycle, who wants to sit down and maybe bring a passenger who doesn't want to cling on to the back of a motorcycle seat, this could be your, your gig. Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly it's a second or third or fourth car. It's a toy car as opposed to a car you're going to use every day. Uh, I can't ima imagine commuting in one of these things. And as you say, it is an attention getter. And I think for the right person, and I, what I have seen them being used for is uh, vacation rentals, like a, a fun thing to do for a group. I, I've seen a bunch of that recently, and I think it's probably a terrific use for, for that vehicle. So the, the Polaris Slingshot, uh, pretty cool vehicle all the way around. <laughs> I agree. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say the Lexus RX is a cool vehicle, but it certainly is a popular vehicle out there. Uh, the RX is the, the mid-sized luxury uh, SUV from Lexus. It's been around, geez, for close to 30 years now. I, I remember when it was introduced a long, long time ago. It was one of the first crossovers out there, and it has maintained a very strong position. And I had the chance to drive the uh, hybrid version, the RX450H, very recently, and uh, I enjoyed it very much. I, one thing about the uh, Lexus RX is uh, it's venerable, and there have been some issues with it, and uh, they've uh, kept in production, and, you know, some things, uh, the issues are, have been things like handling, 
maybe power. Certainly infotainment has been an issue in previous editions of the RX, but they still sold really well. And now Lexus has essentially uh, solved all those problems, if they even were problems. <laughs> they didn't seem to be problems for those who continued to buy them. But they've just made this vehicle that much better. Uh, they have improved the driving dynamics. Uh, they've done good things with the suspension, including uh, front and rear stabilizer bars that... Uh, are uh, better these, these days than before. It has active corner braking that prevents understeer. These things used to really understeer like crazy, which means you would try to try to turn and they would continue to push forward. This, by braking the inner wheel as you are doing the turn, uh, provides more uh, stability when you're doing that. So that's all to the good. And then big changes uh, over the last couple of years to the Lexus multimedia system. They moved it closer to the driver. That was a really good idea. Uh, it seemed like it was light years away uh, before. It was like in a planet far, far away earlier. And they put in a, a larger one as well. You can get a 12.3 inch high, high resolution split screen multimedia display that I liked very much entering my uh, my maps into it, trying to figure out where how, how to get home from a baseball game that I had played in uh, fairly recently. Uh, so that was fun. A lot of USB ports these days because everybody wants to connect. And then they have upgraded the voice command. It is now dynamic, which means it understands you a lot better. Uh, it recognizes millions more phrases than conventional Lexus systems. And I have to wonder, well, if they do that for this, shouldn't they do that on all Lexus systems? Shouldn't all Lexus systems be able to to uh, understand stuff, but they have done a great job with the Apple CarPlay integration. And overall, this is a vehicle that is extremely comfortable. You get into the RX and you go, wow, this is a comfy, comfy ride. All the luxury accoutrement that you could ever expect in a vehicle and uh, a lot of good safety stuff too. Daytime bicy bicyclist detection and, you, and it has low light pedestrian detection. How about that? It reads road signs for you. It doesn't slow your pace if you're exceeding the speed limit uh, to the to the good. It also has lane tracing assist. I'm certain you have been in RXs over the years. Chris, what's your take on that vehicle? You know, I think, and it's interesting that you bring up the problems that, that they fixed because I think that they sold so extremely well in spite of the, the quote unquote issues because of the things that you said after that. You know, they're super comfortable. They're spacious. Uh, they tend to last forever. We see tons of them on the road that are from, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, and the technology improvements have just made them that much better. And I think they make them more appealing to people who are my age, you know, around 40 and younger, who actually like uh, a tech forward experience. And as you say, uh, they've made those improvements to the to the systems and, and the new safety features are really interesting. I haven't had a chance to test uh, cyclist or pedestrian detection, thankfully, but uh, really interesting to see the direction that they've gone. And I appreciate the, the changes they've made. Yeah, I'm hard pressed to see how you would even test that. <laughs> you know, do you have a, a daring bicyclist uh, riding by and, oh, I didn't hit him. That's a really good thing. <laughs> One of the things they've done to uh, interest a, a younger buyer is the F-Sport versions. And I had a uh, hybrid with the F-Sport version, which seems kind of a contradiction in terms, but plenty of horsepower, 308 horsepower, I think, combined, and uh, sporty enough. I wouldn't say, uh, well, it certainly wasn't Porsche-like handling, uh, but it was nice handling, and uh, like I say, a, a really wonderful ride quality as well. 
So an interesting combination of vehicles we had in this road test segment, the RX450H from Lexus, certainly very, very mainstream, and then uh, way off the norm with the Polaris Slingshot that Chris Teague reviewed. So when we come back, we will be speaking with Trevor Lye. He is the product planner for Hyundai. He's going to be telling us all about the exciting new Hyundai Santa Cruz Sports Adventure vehicle. Um, Just a little hint, it's got a pickup truck bed. So stay with us for that. Thanks so much for being with Chris Teague and me right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nurad back with you, and we're on location driving the Hyundai Santa Cruz. Outside Santa Cruz, not precisely in Santa Cruz now, but certainly close to Santa Cruz. With me as an expert on this, a guy who's been on the show before. I'd like to think, Trevor, that you are a friend of America on the Road these days. Thank you so much. Trevor uh, Lai is Senior Manager of Product Planning. Congratulations on the promotion. Good Thank for you, you at, at Hyundai Motor America. Uh, and thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much, Jack. It's, uh, Santa Cruz has been uh, a project we've been working on for quite a few years, and we're really glad to see it on the road. It's one of those vehicles that is hitting white space in the market, and there's darn little white space in the market. But tell our listeners who might not be acquainted with Santa Cruz what it is and, and why there is that blank in the market that you're filling. Sure. You know, Santa Cruz is one of those things, when we took a look at the market back in the you know, middle of the decade, it was one of those things like, well, we know people are buying SUVs. We know people are buying trucks. Well, what if we meld the two? And what you see on the road now uh, with the Santa Cruz represents that. We're trying to drive for a CUV customer that likes their CUV um, experience, ride quality, seating, features, amenities, things of that nature, and also giving them an open bed uh, option for carrying things. You know, if you're going to be carrying a lot of uh, home improvement materials and you know, now with COVID, everyone's putting all their money right into, into home improvement type stuff. Um, you may not want to carry necessarily bags of soil or even the stinkier versions of soil, right? <laughs> yes, um, well you put. You don't want that in your SUV. You don't want that in your outside of your vehicle. And this offers that uh, do-it-yourself right at home that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, that open bed has so many uses. It has so many uses for home improvement, uh, for people who are... Um, say, handy people, handy men and handy women. Absolutely. Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and you can carry a lot of stuff in an open bed that you can't carry or don't want to carry, as you mentioned, in an SUV. Yep. And, you know, we have a lot of innovation that uh, that we have in our, uh, in our Santa Cruz. If you take a look at the cargo area of the Santa Cruz in the open bed, we have a bin underneath. So if you want to store things that are out of the weather, um, weather sealed, you can do that. You can turn the area into a cooler. If you're tailgating, you can do that. We have a utility track there to secure down whatever it is you're carrying. You can do that. We have um, our factory installed tonneau cover, something that we found in our research. People, they might be interested in a, in a pickup truck, but they're not so sure about leaving things open that could be uh, open an easy target for, for theft. And so offering that from a, a factory solution, I think hits on all those uh, all those needs, unmet needs in, in that white space that we just talked about. Yeah, I mean that lockable storage, in, in, fa- in fact, two ways lockable. I mean, you have the lockable storage under the bed and then you have uh, the lockable tonneau cover yep. uh, that's available uh, directly from the factory or directly right. from the dealer. Uh, that is, a, uh, I think, a wonderful advantage to those people who kind of are not really pickup truck people, pickup truck buyers, and I think that's largely the target for for this vehicle, isn't it? It's not necessarily truck buyers, it's people who want some utility from a truck 
in a different type of vehicle. Yes, and what we wanted to do was, you know, give them that opportunity to, to carry those big things um, without any of the compromises that you would have, you know, with an enclosed SUV. And so being able to do that with the bed innovations that we have, I think uh, helps us set apart from uh, conventional uh, open bed solutions. Let's talk a bit about the interior because it's a five passenger interior, very much yes. like an SUV interior or a, of a five passenger SUV, yes. right? Without a third row uh, that you might have in a, maybe a larger SUV. Tell us a bit about the thinking that went into the interior of this vehicle. So what we have for the interior um, for our Santa Cruz, you might notice uh, when we last talked, uh, it was at Tucson launching our Hyundai Tucson. So a lot of the uh, the center stack, the steering wheel, the cluster, those are actually straight carryover from Tucson. We did that intentionally to have that SUV-like experience. I mean, you're not going to necessarily find uh, ventilated seats, for example, in a conventional uh, offering. You may not find uh, a heated steering wheel. These are all things that CUV customers, now that you know people are buying CUVs so much now, you know, they may already be on their third or fourth SUV, and they're used to those features. And to bring that in to an open bed solution as we have in Santa Cruz, I think really will help capture that CUV buyer that we're targeting. Right, it's also gonna help you in terms of development and getting this to market quickly. Uh, if you have a great sol interior solution, you don't have to reinvent that for a vehicle that's very similar and based essentially on the same platform, right? That's right, and you know, if, if you recall, I mean, we, we first released the concept vehicle um, at the Detroit Auto Show in 2015, and since then, um, there's been so much positive feedback. When are we going to see this? You know, from from media, from interested consumers, from dealers alike. Everyone wanted to see Santa Cruz, so we went back to the drawing board to make sure we had the right proportions and the right hardware for our Santa Cruz, and we baked that into um, the platform that shared with Tucson. Right, so. Um, Having that flexibility um, to do that, I think, is, uh, is one of the great things that we, we do here at Hyundai. Absolutely. Let's talk a bit about powertrain and, and drivetrain. Um, this starts out as a front-wheel drive vehicle. I think all, I don't think, I know all-wheel drive is also <laughs> available, right? And a pretty sophisticated all-wheel drive. Talk a bit about that and what you think that mix is going to be and, and what each of those delivers. Our H-Track all-wheel drive system is something that is a very robust type of all-wheel drive application uh, for Santa Cruz. And it's also shared with a lot of our other larger SUVs as well. Uh, most recently, of course, not only the new Tucson, but our very popular Palisade. And it's a very um, durable and rugged system that operates transparently, just as it does for our SUV customers. It will again here for our Santa Cruz. However, due owing to a, a, an image uh, of the uh, open bed vehicle that we do have, we do expect um, a quite a bit higher take rate of our all-wheel drive system. We're looking at somewhere around two-thirds of our customers uh, will be ordering uh, their Santa Cruz with our H-Track all-wheel drive system. Ah, interesting. And how do you think the customer will differ between the Tucson customer, kind of a traditional, I guess, compact SUV or CUV buyer uh, versus the Santa Cruz? We were going to have, I think, a lot of commonalities. You know, we're, we're already theorizing that uh, folks might be coming in for a Tucson, interested in our most recent launch of that. And when they get to the dealership, they'll see this. They'll see the interior room. It does all the interior daily type things that you would uh, require of a five-passenger vehicle. But then having that open bed flexibility at a price point that's uh, the same or even lower than, than, than some of the Tucson builds, I think that uh, a lot of folks will be buying uh, Santa Cruz. It's really targeted for folks, like again, folks who are either outdoorsy, uh, sporty, 
um, or aspire to as such. Um, I think that's really going to be the, the differentiating point. Yeah. You don't see many uh, people aspiring to a sedentary lifestyle or just a staid and boring <laughs> life. You know, it, it's always for people with a, an active, lively lifestyle. And I think a- that's absolutely true in this case. We're talking with Trevor Lai. He is a Senior Manager of Product Planning at Hyundai Motor America about the Santa Cruz. And let's talk a bit about powertrain. I had a chance to drive this uh, mm-hmm. just minutes ago. R- recently, I came back from a, a very lovely drive along the Pacific Ocean. And... I was very impressed. I was impressed with the power, I was imp- and I was really impressed with the handling. I maybe expected power because you offer something like 250 horsepower or something like that, I think, and you, you would know better. A little uh, bit more, a little bit more. But yeah, okay. How, what, is it 280? <laughs> it's a little over 275 horse. Okay. Yep. Uh, so a lot of horsepower in a, in a vehicle this size, but uh, the handling was what, what really got me is... Uh, this thing handles really, really well. We had some challenging, twisty roads to, yes. to drive along. And uh, give me the thinking and, and, and why it's so good. Well, the inherent goodness comes with that, that shared platform that we do have with Tucson. Again, we come back to the research that we did. Um, a lot of the buyers who, that white space that we talked about a moment ago, they might be interested in a conventional uh, pickup, for example, but they're not necessarily wanting a uh, a lumbering vehicle that doesn't do very well in the mountains. Because if you think about it, if you're going to be going camping, if you're going to be going snowboarding, skiing, mountain biking, a lot of those activities, where are those? In the mountains. Or, in the case of a lot of California, you might have to pass through mountains to get to the beach, right? And so why would you want to have a compromised experience in a conventional pickup offering when you don't have to? And I think when um, you drove it earlier, and I think anyone who's interested in this vehicle, they go for a test drive, they will find that their experience is much more like a, uh, a compact SUV. It's very light on its feet, very eager, and especially with that two and a half liter turbo that we do have um, with our Santa Cruz, I think that's going to be a very engaging uh, driving experience. Absolutely. Take us through the, the, the two powertrains, because you have not just one, but two. Right. We have two available engines with our Santa Cruz. The standard engine is going to be a two and a half liter, normally aspirated, both uh, direct injected and uh, port fuel injection. And that one develops uh, close to 190 horsepower. So for day-to-day type things, uh, if you're living in an area of the country where it's a bit more flat, you don't have mountains necessarily, that's a great solution um, day-to-day. And that is our standard engine. Available is our two and a half liter turbocharged engine. And again, that's about 275 horsepower or so and over 310 pound-feet of torque, which is significantly higher than anything in its class. And I think that driving experience, I mean, torque is what you drive every day, right? You can load up the vehicle. Remember, this thing can tow 5,000 pounds. So even if you have 5,000 pounds you're towing behind you, you have over 310 pound-feet pulling that load up a mountain. So having that flexibility of both powertrains, I think, will be the key to success uh, for our Santa Cruz. I think that 5,000 pound towing capacity is one of the surprises about this, probably a surprise and delight, because that's a fairly stout amount of towing capacity for a vehicle that is, is not large and kind of revels in the fact that it's got a small footprint and it's great as an urban vehicle. Talk a right. bit about that. We, we knew that uh, in order to convert some skeptics out there, we need to have the numbers to back up the capabilities uh, for our Santa Cruz. So what we impressed on the engineering teams that we have at Hyundai was to be able to have this capability to port- not only portray the image, but to actually do what we say, right? It will tow 5,000 pounds with a turbocharged all-wheel drive application that we have. And even if you don't have that powertrain uh, combination, we still have standard 3,500 pounds 
of, uh, of towing capacity. That's much higher than uh, another recent entrant uh, into the market. Well, and a lot of vehicles of, of about that size tow 1,500 pounds or something like that. So, right. you know, uh, a lot more. There are a lot of interesting, I think, ingenious solutions throughout this vehicle. Why don't you tell us about some of those uh, you know, things like the, the steps? A lot of innovation went into Santa Cruz. And here at Hyundai, it's one of those things where of any, any program that we have, we're going to be trying for any unique selling points. But we knew when we set out with Santa Cruz, it was going to be something unique and we had its own unique set of challenges. And so, for example, you mentioned the steps in the, in the, in the, in the rear of the vehicle. Yet we have three different levels of steps in the rear bumper. Again, all standard. You have a corner step, that's at one level. You have the kick down where the license plate is, that's another lower level. Uh, and you have an intermediate step in between those, that's the top of the bumper, for example. Again, to get to whatever load that you have that you're trying to secure. Other elements that are um, surprise and delight features, we have a lot of Easter eggs, right, around the vehicle. You know, one of the uh, one of the great things that uh, we were allowed to do was uh, we've been working closely with our design team in Irvine, which which is where, or Southern California, which is where this vehicle was uh, styled. And we were able to keep a lot of those elements into uh, into production. So you see little icons of um, the truck silhouette uh, throughout the vehicle, even the tail lamp lenses. We have small little Easter eggs, if you will. So take a look if you haven't seen that already. Um, even those kind of small details, we, we decided to... Um, we're really glad they got to, got to production. And a lot of interesting things, innovative things, I think, in the bed. Uh, you know, making that the most useful bed it can be. It's not a long bed. If if memory serves, it's, what, four feet, three inches long or something like that with the tailgate closed or something like that. But talk a bit about uh, the usefulness of that space. Yeah, it's a, it's a 4.3-foot bed. And, and when you lower the tailgate um, uh, of, of our Santa Cruz, it's uh, it becomes quite quite long, right? I think it's about 74 inches or so in, in that overall length. And when you combine that with the utility track system that we have in there, the various cleats that we have in there, we also have additional cutouts in the bed itself. If you want to create a two-story, two-level um, storage area with a sheet of plywood, you can do that. We have cutouts on the top of the bed rail. If you wanted to install a rack, for example, you want to build your own rack, just get a hot knife, cut through that plastic as you would a conventional product, for, uh, for example, and you can build yourself a rack and have it contiguous with the, uh, the roof rails, for example. As we sum up in this interview, what is your favorite feature about the Santa Cruz? My favorite feature of the Santa Cruz is probably coming back to that tonneau cover that we have available from the factory. You know, it is a, a weather-resistant type of uh, material. It's very durable. Um, if you want to keep things uh, that are dirty, but you want to keep dry, right? So maybe you went to, to Home Depot or Lowe's and you did get a bunch of manure uh, or, um, or soil, as we talked about earlier, right? Right. Well, that really works when it stays dry, right? So you can have, you can carry those things along, but with a tonneau cover that we have available from the factory, you don't have to worry about fitting it aftermarket. You don't have to worry about, you know, those kind of solutions. It's from the factory. It's easy to use and it's lockable and securable. It's one of the things that uh, we preserved from the uh, initial concept truck and we're really glad it made, it made, it to, made its way to production. Well, Trevor Lai, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Always great to talk to you. I look forward to doing it again. And I love the fact that you name vehicles and then take us to places that they're named after. And I think maybe next time, uh, I don't know, Lahaina? Or Paris would be a nice name for a vehicle. Tahiti, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Tahiti, yeah. There you yeah. go. I'm, I'm liking it. So uh, thanks so much again, and stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. And it is listener question time on America on the Road as we sum up for today. Uh, Chris, I think you have a listener question for us, don't you? 
I do. This one is from Todd in Long Island, New York. He says that he hasn't been in the New York Auto Show in a while, and he's seen that the last couple have been canceled. So I wanted to know when he might be able to expect to see that happen again and what uh, what's going on with auto shows in general these days. Well, it is a good question, and uh, a lot of people just haven't even noticed that auto shows have been canceled because <laughs> they don't get a ton of publicity when they don't happen, right? Uh, so a lot of people are probably scratching their head in, in New York or other areas of the country and going, hey, where's that great auto show that I used to love attending? What's happened with that? And of course, the pandemic has forced the cancellation of many auto shows. I think the New York auto show at last count had been canceled three separate times. Maybe it's more than that. I'm not sure. And I'm not certain that they have established yet another date when they expect to do it. It is typically uh, around Easter time. Uh, the most recent cancellation was for a show that was scheduled to take place in August. So we will have to see. And yet some auto shows are, are going to take place and will take place imminently. Uh, the uh, Texas Auto Show in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is going to take place in September. And I, I think we're very likely to see the Los Angeles International Auto Show take place in mid-November. So auto shows will be coming back, and uh, they are great places to experience a lot of vehicles in a very short period of time with no sales pressure. They're great for the consumer. So I think both you and I would like to see them come back, wouldn't we, Chris? Absolutely, especially uh, getting to go to L.A. and Texas for their outdoors. They've been wrapping in a lot of new uh, interactive experiences and things, which are great for consumers and journalists, too, to get behind the wheel. So looking forward to it. Right. And look for the America on the Road podcast, the podcast version of the show. It's on all the major podcast outlets. And, uh, of course, join us again on the Sports Map Radio Network uh, at this time next week for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new or used car or you just want auto information, go to DrivingToday.com. That's DrivingToday.com, the official automotive website of America on the road.